0: I think the the first the first thing i learned is bella lugosi's dead
1: oh no (laughs) yeah all right
0: be a real one i know all right be to a real one man gone too soon (laughs) oh no uh, uh, yeah tremendous song yeah and came out of it
1: horny i hope there's a horny vampire somewhere uh having a carnal pleasure slash murdering a guy while listening to it
0: i think it's the um second greatest in movie music video ahead of any given sunday but just behind body double
1: yeah i was going to say body double too. that's yeah that's...
0: body double's the greatest in movie music video
1: yep but Perfect.
0: um but this is I'll, close truly a lost art like yeah. it would be really neat if like in i don't know a thor the new Thor. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, Thor, like, stumbles into a Guns N' Roses concert.
1: That would be so sad. I mean, that move, that band uh, is a, a huge part of that movie. Uh,
0: so That's what I understand.
1: Just inexplicably, the little Thor children, the little um, Viking babies or whatever, they fucking love Thor for whatever reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool, too, if, like, Axel Rose was one of the thunder gods. Yes. Like that was revealed. Like Axel like winks at the camera He's like, I know more about you than you thought, Thor. I'm your cousin.
1: It's <laughs> almost like uh, when uh Pirates of the Caribbean kind of like jump the shark and they yeah they, brought, they, they actually Keith brought it Richards, in. <laughs> Keith Richards yeah. it's just so insane. Uh, oh man,
0: that's weird. Very weird. Uh and wasn't like Paul McCartney in it too later on uh
1: maybe. i don't know God, uh, I, maybe. I don't
0: think i saw God. i got of uh, lost track of those i ones. mean
1: the first two i loved the first mm-hmm. two i think are good i'll stand by because yeah. like the, the second one has that like great fight in like a a moving like a, the i forget what it is. is it like the part of a mill that's like on the in the water that's constantly like mm-hmm. they're just in a, they're in a giant spear and there's three Oop. dudes sword fighting oh no Oh, he's back! He's back.
0: Oh, folks. God, I'm back, and you know what? The hell with it! Hello, and welcome to the award-winning <laughs> podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson.
1: I'm Patrick Grimian.
0: Welcome to The Academy, and welcome to Scott Scott. Ooh, the highly anticipated in-depth look. We're gonna we're gonna be looking all the nooks and crannies of the scott brothers ridley scott tony scott this is going to take months get ready yeah (laughs) if you hate it sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is your life now it's it's our lives it's going to be yours
0: our asses are committed now how did this come up um well i think we were just kind of chatting away we're you know house of gucci the fan we've been circling scott world yeah a bit here, and we just decided, you know, like let's take a look at it. And we've already, we're already looking at like we're already seeing like cool trends, interesting trends, interesting, um, kind of like running
1: themes
0: throughout, and kind of uh, it, this interesting idea of them as being kind of the gateway between the tourist new Hollywood of the 70s into the like. Macho commercialism of Ooh. the '80s. Macho commercialism.
1: That is, that's a great, oh man, coin that term, baby.
0: Yeah, um, that's the name of my uh, book. Uh, publishers out there, please, uh, and it's a two-book deal with the Stallone book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: publishers, uh, my uh, book series, my YA novels about the adventures of a young Tombgus is still. On the table.
0: That's on the table, man. We, why <laughs> nobody's calling, but Nobody. anyway, uh, we're gonna be talking Ridley Scott. We're gonna be talking Tony Scott. Oh yeah. Um, Patrick is in the midst of reading up on Tony. I'm doing Ridley. Yeah. Kind of team teaming the research here because there's a lot to dig through. Um, Ridley even Ridley is extraordinarily prolific. Mm-hmm. Tony was no slouch himself. And um, the brother, Scott, I mean, I guess that's a really good way in. Um, They treat making films in a very working class kind of way. Um, And I think that would be because they come from a very, very working class background. Yeah. Uh, Ridley is was born November 30th, 1937, which makes him gulp. 85 years old this coming November. Um, Protect at all costs. Protect at all costs. Yet, as we all know, he is rumored to be already in post production on the Napoleon movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And there are also rumors that it may be out in time for the end of this year. God damn. And by all accounts, his next, although Ridley, if you look at his, um, he, the there is an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to projects he has been attached to that never came about. My God! Um, but the rumor is that his next film is going to be Gladiator Two. Wow! So, this is this is a man who is rocking, and he's probably doing a thousand commercials. In the between all these things, um, you think
1: uh, Gladiator 2 is gonna follow that like weird Nick Cave script? Have you ever heard of that?
0: I have, and I hope so. It, yeah, it, so for our <laughs> listeners, please look this up. This is like it, Nick Cave, the sing, the tremendous singer songwriter, yeah, um, wrote a screenplay, uh, bay probably after a night out of partying with Russell Crowe where they came up with this together. <laughs> I think that's the only way that this fever dream and it, if, if I recall correctly, it involves time travel. Yes. And Maximus like going to different portions of um, the universe and getting into fights across history and that I, kind of
1: I, thing. I think at one point Maximus is part of the war on terror. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This is Incredible. these are these are the kind of movies we need in yeah. the world, like the kind of movies that make the general audience like go, "What were they thinking?" And for us to say good things—that's what they were thinking—was good things. Yeah. Um, uh, Ridley Scott, and uh, this is a kind of a crossover to Tony Scott, because uh, if you can believe it, they come from the same parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to Elizabeth and Colonel. Francis Percy Scott. Why don't you put that guy on a boat, like right now? He's probably sailing with Russell Crowe and Master and Commander with a name like that. <laughs> For <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> uh, he was born in South Shields County, Durham, uh, in England, which is, I believe, in the northeast corner of England. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, working class background. Um, his father was an officer in the royal engineers and absent for a lot of early life Um, does have an older brother this will come up as well consistently we've already noticed this as a theme Um, Francis Scott uh, was his uh, brother and we could just jump ahead um, oh and Frank joined the merchant Navy when he was young and he's a few years older than Ridley and uh, quite a bit older than Tony yeah And uh, neither of them had a ton of contact with him. And Francis kind of was the. um, Frank uh, was the prodigal son. In a sense, because he kind of followed in dad's footsteps, didn't really rock the boat in terms of um, family upbringing, Um, though he unfortunately died of cancer at 45, right? Yes, 45. Yes, very young and this, like, the 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 golden son, the firstborn son dying young, kind of does hang over some of the vibes mm-hmm. of the Scott family. And we'll kind of keep that in mind as we talk through the movies to come. Um, but by all accounts, their mother was a, um, like, a firebrand, kind of the uh, leader of the family and kind of had the artier side to her. But that does not mean that going to the being a painter and then going to art school wasn't a huge kind of out of the box surprise. Yeah, for this family uh which but Ridley it seems from the start was um stubborn and intense <laughs> like from from the jump. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and he was not going to and uh oh and I should mention too that um and we'll get into this cuz th- this is true and Maybe not in this first film, but uh, there are. Ridley Scott has always been quite good with um, very strong female characters
1: mm-hmm. within
0: his film, and he attributes that to his mother uh, being a strong role model to him. Um, early films that um, Ridley Scott saw, they had a one cinema in the town, and they went once a week with his mom to oh, go wow. see films. Um, he was science. He was interested in science fiction from the start, um, but didn't really see films as kind of a, um, like many of his generation didn't see films as kind of like a, well, this could be something huge um, until he saw 2001. Ooh. Space Odyssey, of course, you know, like Michael Mann, like James Cameron, like so many others of their kind of era that movie rocked them to their core. And then later on, um, you know, came films, of course, like Citizen Kane and um, a personal favorite of Ridley Scuds is apparently the third man, uh, the Carol Reed film. Mm. And, um, you know, he said, basically when he saw 2001, he said, once I saw that I knew what I could do, but he, he did go to um, art school initially for painting Mm -hmm. Um, he's and to this day uh, check out some special features on Ridley Scott Um, on any of the discs we get to see get a look at his hand-drawn storyboards that he does himself for each Wow! Uh, what a cool piece of movie memorabilia if you could score one of those to put up on your wall at your house but Mm -hmm. um, yeah and this kind of defines his visual style, he's not um, in the slightest uh, modest about his visual style. He says, I have a great eye. I know that. And uh, I think anyone who's seen any of his films, regardless of if the story of the film works out for you, um, visually, they're almost always ravishing and good choices made all the way through. You know, And he's, also, he's often been accused focusing too much on the visual side of things in his films um i think the same could probably be said about tony let's hear a little bit about tony's uh first few years before college patrick
1: oh for sure catch us uh, up <laughs> oh yeah no tony scott born june 21st 1944 so it's a difficult, not not super significantly but like almost a you know a little under a decade younger than uh, our boy, uh our boy, uh, uh, Bridley, same family, you know, Merchant <laughs> brain. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to go into the. Yeah, I think we've covered that. Uh, one thing that's yeah, <laughs> not a different family uh, that John didn't trick you earlier. Uh, one this thing. Is our
0: big swerve. They're not actually brothers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so one thing that's interesting about Tony Scott is that yeah, he kind of followed the same. Artistic footsteps consistently as Ridley. And it took him a little further, or it took him a little longer to find his footing, though, uh, comparatively. Uh, for example, when they were both applying to get into university, when they were trying to get into uh, <clears throat> the uh, Royal College of Art in London, one, uh, so uh, Ridley directed Boy and Bicycle. That was like a short form that he uh, short film that he uh directed to try to get into university uh very much kind of like a realist film it's just about like a little kid in northern England kind of driving around and you kind of hear his like uh you kind of hear like his uh interior dialogue while he's going around uh town I,
0: I, I read an interview too where at least really Scott said that um he beat 400 blows to the punch of the being a the young man coming of age in black and white movie. Uh, he that's... didn't. The 400 blows came out in 1959. Boy and Bicycle was 1962.
1: <laughs> you know, I respect the I respect the uh, the cockiness. That's yeah, that's that's, a... that's that's crazy. It's but... kind of
0: a through line for both brothers. Is that they 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 have a bit of swag
1: yeah oh hugely they're both swag filled um yeah
0: and uh just know we will be covering boy and bicycle in an odds and ends episode mm. later on in this series
1: oh for sure we cannot wait and uh but the thing yeah but the thing is it's a uh, tony scott starred in boy and bicycle he was like i think the uh eponymous uh is that the right word? Eponymous the boy, titular, titular, titular boy, titular boy <laughs> the titular boy, not eponymous. What am I doing? Getting all my, getting all my fun, fancy cinnamons confused. Cinnamon, I'm getting my fancy cinnamons confused. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what hey, am
0: ha- Hey, when you're in the kitchen, it can happen.
1: <laughs> train wreck. I already ate on fire. Train on <laughs> fire <laughs> into building. Uh, and so uh, Ridley returned the favor and uh, starred in um, Tony Scott's. Short film that he used to try to apply for uh, the Royal College of Art. Uh, One of the missing, which I believe is a, an uh, based on an Ambrose uh, Bierce short story about the Civil War. Which is a way more moody film. It has some. I think it has more frenetic editing, weird sound design. You know, it's trying to depict a soldier kind of going into madness, you know, falling into madness. Uh, and that unfortunately did not fly uh, with the Royal College of Art and so Tony Scott oh no that did fly actually sorry my bad so that was the film that I think got him into uh, the Royal College of Art and that was his second attempt because before is that right or was that sorry
0: yes it was on his second attempt.
1: second attempt yeah it was on his second yeah that was the one on his second attempt yes yeah. 100% yeah okay Note to patch note to self I have a little outline before we do this. But Ridley
0: Ridley got in immediately. Yeah, and And everyone kind of saw his skill set from the jump, where Tony took a a moment.
1: Yes, he had to go to, like, I think the Sunderland uh, mm -hmm. art school, and he studied art history for a couple years. And I think the big thing about Tony that separates him from Ridley as well is he really wanted to be an artist. He didn't want to be a film director initially, and he ultimately gravitated towards that. Due to a, uh, I think it was honestly money issues initially. Because he, yeah. yeah, because the thing is, Tony Scott he married very young. He married uh, a <clears throat> Geraldine Boldy, uh, who I think she worked in. I think she had like a job at BBC, uh, BBC working in mm-hmm. production design. Uh, while Tony Scott was kind of floundering as an artist, and uh, Ridley able to kind of like drop a line to him in the form of uh, working at RSA Do you want to sh- yeah sh- I
0: could get get into the RSA right now and yeah um, so the line he dropped though was uh Tony want to be an artist he thought about doing documentaries uh, but by this point Ridley Scott who had already worked for the BBC, there's a long-standing rumor that he created the uh, Daleks the if for Doctor Who he did not. But, um, he was it's been, uh, he's been attributed to it. Um he, though, Ridley is, like we mentioned, he is incredibly industrious. like almost it's awe inspiring when you begin to read about just how industrious he is. Mm-hmm. So in 1968, he created Ridley Scott Associates, otherwise known as, and we'll probably be referring to it as RSA. A right. film and his own film and commercial production company and which was almost immediately successful and he was directing dozens upon i think he they said but even before he made his feature first feature he had directed like 200 some on commercials already um which were all pushing boundaries he was a millionaire by 27 um yeah. and So, while Tony was kind of floundering, trying to be an artist, basically Ridley gave him a call and said, don't go to the BBC, come to me first. And he knew that Tony had a fondness for cars. And he said, come with me, and within a year, you'll have a Ferrari. Jesus Christ. (laughs) guess what? Tony did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, And what's crazy, too, like, looking up RSA, I didn't realize, like... This is like maybe one of the most influential groups of filmmakers cuz like the, yes. uh, yeah like like it's a murderous row of talent that was there.
0: So in a so in addition to the Scott brothers early hires for RSA included Hugh Hudson who went on to direct uh Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Alan Parker who directed many many films um obviously uh, we could uh probably uh within the world of uh the academy academy we'd have to point to angel heart with mickey Rourke. (laughs) (laughs) but in addition to that Pink Floyd's the wall the commitments uh midnight express Mm -hmm. mississippi burning bugsy malone i mean you name it he were he died a couple years ago but dude uh Tons of movies. Um uh cinematographer Hugh Johnson and um also huge to kind of this story and the move into the 1980s stylings, Adrian Lyne, ooh, uh, Mr. Deepwater. Yeah, no, yes, recent recently known for <laughs> deep water but uh uh Flash Dance, Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, and Decent Proposal, Jacob's Ladder, Um that's... absolute um the, the master of the erotic thriller
1: Th- that, uh, that's crazy that that much talent was just at this fucking like commercial like a, a company like making you know commercials for like Mac and uh, you know probably just weird British products like that <laughs> that this much talent was like just confined here it's, it's wild like yeah
0: yeah, and basically what Ridley said, sk- uh, what Ridley or what they what Tony said was, my goal was to make films, but I got sidetracked into commercials, and then that just took off. Um, and basically, these guys had because age-wise, they're actually similar age to you know um, the Scorsese's, the Bogdanoviches, the um, Coppolas of the world, but both made their directorial debuts toward the late 70s early 80s so they worked in commercials for 10 15 years before they made feature films which basically got them yeah basically tony's tony said they they got a chance to shoot 100 days out of the year every year which is you know you talk to any director the biggest concern they have is that they don't get enough reps like making stuff right and So the Scott brothers, and in turn, Hudson, Line, Parker, etc., got the opportunity to like hone their craft. So all of them, unlike their first movie, there was nothing amateurish about when they made their first films because they were so ready to go. And because they had kind of by taking Ridley's lead of doing very glossy, sexy rock and roll commercials. Mm. They were ready to make very glossy, sexy rock and roll movies, <laughs> mm. basically. Um, but it's like all starts with Ridley, who also the thing that sets it apart is because Ridley Scott, when he went into making movies, had run a successful multi-million dollar company for over a decade. God. So how does he run a movie set? Same vibe, same attitude. Yeah, he's same.
1: Su-
0: co- same. He's successful. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> he says that's it's that same confidence. Like you can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can't like, not be confident in that situation. And you know this is
0: like I mean you see him on any and he's so generous about bonus features on his Blu-rays. You see any of them? You just watch him. He just kind of like sits there. He's like, yes, no, that's what we're gonna do. It's just there's no doubts there's he knows exactly what he wants and it's pretty phenomenal although it could be argued it becomes a little mechanical Mm. i think we'll
1: see yeah we'll see how that turns out Um, yeah I,
0: i have a theory about this is that um oh and we should note too that as time went on you know, they they continue to they made some of the like most known commercials yeah of the last like 60 years <laughs> basically and they continue to to this day if you go to the RSA website they are doing this at the same pace wow. as the, that, that, that they were then I mean obviously those guys are some of them have passed away um some of them are older some of them are just ingrained in the film industry I mean they're all they're all older the yeah. original guys who we're part of this um but they're working with like so here's the deal too which is amazing all five members of ridley scott's family are directors all of them have worked for rsa uh, obviously tony but his sons jake and luke and his daughter jordan all worked for our all con- to this day work for rsa wow and they are still like i was so inspired <laughs> i looked. like at Their jobs section. I was like, <laughs> I want to work here <laughs> like, it's, because it just like it's it's like this fact cinema factory basically, mm-hmm. and like just the amount of training you can get is would be amazing, even if you disagree with their kind of very flashy commercial style.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's so fascinating looking at the commercial. Like they treat like I feel like I've never seen commercials treated so like broadly cinematically like from that era i feel like they were probably the first people to really be like let's they, treat this like a short film
0: i think so too yeah i think so too is that they like it was you know john wayne selling chesterfield cigarettes i smoke them you know it's yeah. like that ad in <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood at the end of it with rick dalton with the cigarettes so that's how it used to be yeah <laughs> um or
1: like yeah, you, you get Fred Flintstone
0: or some shit. Exi- yeah. yeah, and like these guys treated it as like crazed high art. I mean, if you want to like any commercial with like spokes, any like perfume commercial with Johnny Depp emerging from the water of like playing lead guitar, um, RSA is probably to blame. For, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for
2: better or for, for worse. Yeah, yeah it I is. Yeah.
0: The only movement that's similar is like the um, I believe they're called Propaganda which was a group of um, music video directors in the late 80s into early 90s that included Michael Bay, David Fincher, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, in the same level of like this group of directors who all got their chops doing this very like sales kind of thing Mm. and then moved into making feature films.
1: That actually makes a lot of sense because I feel like you can see a lot of like Spike Jones and like Michelle Gondry and probably like I, I can you can see like the different like you know if we're like um uh looking at the rings of the commercial tree or whatever, you can mm-hmm. see which eras were influenced by certain people. I feel like and right with, now with,
0: without a doubt, those guys are the sons of the Scott Brothers. The spiritual sons of the Scott brothers. Yeah, spiritual sons of the Scott Brothers. Because mm-hmm. they all made, you know, in differing ways, but they all make very glossy commercial films. Yeah. I mean even Spike Jones does. You know.
2: Yeah, 100% stuff is
0: still like it might be a little weird but it's slick still. Mm-hmm. I mean it's all of, all of them are. And it kind of starts here. You know. And for better or worse, I mean we'll decide if we think this is a good thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as <laughs> as it goes on. Um but of course like their dream was to um make features they all wanted to mm-hmm. um and interestingly enough like so uh, i believe parker was the first with bugsy malone and uh ridley took it quite personal <laughs> that he wasn't the first oh no was, ridley yeah he was i mean you know there is like um very daniel plain view i have a competition in me
1: <laughs> well know? like i think like parker like beamed to the punch a couple of times and that like I, I feel like i read something too about like was i think he was Ridley was pissed about uh, Midnight Express, like.
0: Yes. That <laughs> Parker got nominated for a picture and director for that one too. Yeah, and he yeah. did. It's and like... but I don't think, I don't think you become Ridley Scott if you don't have that attitude. No, I don't think so. And you know, by all accounts, like no one says he's an asshole. No. Everyone says he's like he's tough. He's he can be a little gruff, but nobody says he's an asshole. You know, he's the, obviously he's. He's not been accused of any, like, him nor Tony. And Tony, on the flip side, everyone said, was an absolute delight.
1: Yeah, everyone's like, people love Tony. Like, everyone, yeah, yeah, like, even Stephen Goldblatt, uh, the cinematographer, when they were, like, directing The Hunger, he was like, yeah, like, he called him, like, one of the most pleasant people to work under in spite of, like, all the crazy reshoots he would make him do over. Because, like, they would, like... Film, they would refilm things like 13 or 14 times just to try to find, like, the right, like, you know, oh, this hallway is not dark enough. This hallway is not light enough. Um, you got to think, though, I mean, like,
0: Denzel Washington works with Tony Scott like five times. Yeah. It's got to be, I mean, and Quentin Tarantino to this day, like, Quentin hates natural born killers, hates it, but he loves true romance. The only script he ever wrote, uh, well, one of the only scripts that he wrote. That didn't direct and it's obviously a very personal film to him but he loves that tony hit. he feels tony hit it out of the park yeah and you know and i mean i know that um jen said when they showed the hunger at the new bev last year you know quentin was there
1: he said he, he
0: came and watched the movie and was talking about it on the sidewalk like anybody else <laughs> after it was over <laughs> you know he's a fan you know they're all everyone and i mean i think that you know another thing we're gonna Kind of talk about is sadly that Tony didn't live to see the fact that pretty much now mm-hmm. Tony's beloved and these movies are like everyone loves these movies and his style has been totally accepted as like a truly like visionary auteurist style of crazed like just crazed camera work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> directing.
1: Well, and I think the thing that's also uh, sad is, like, along with his passing, a thing that, like, has kind of left the zeitgeist since his passing is the style of film he created. Kind of like a mid-budget popcorn thriller that, you know, just doesn't, like, because of, like, our, uh, because, like, we, everything has to be fulfill four quadrants. Everything kind of has to appeal to everything. We're kind of stuck in superhero worlds. And yeah, well, films like even films like Deja Vu have like kind of disappeared from the mainstream.
0: Yeah. And the only person who's like keeping them up, you know, who can still get a mate is Denzel Washington. But his yeah. his spiritual brother, Tony Scott, isn't there to really push the envelope on it. I mean, you know, I, I'm a once-a year, twice-a year unstoppable watcher at this point. It's mm. one of it's one of my faves. And I just feel like because it's like, it's just like it's so it's so pure and simple, these yeah. movies. It's just, you know, it's just an adventure, and it's like a yarn, man. And to quote you, it's a movie ass <laughs> movie, and
1: they, yeah,
0: those those rule. And yeah. the Scott brothers are good at them. <laughs>
1: yeah, these are like the most movie ass. These are maybe like the the modern day movie ass movie, perhaps uh, finds its origins in these two Scots.
0: And I think that's, like, why, like, last year, when, um, like, we saw the trailer of The Last Duel, there was kind of this excitement of, like, oh, wait, he just made a movie. Like, that's cool. Yeah!
1: Just like, you know. a movie for, like, adults! That's not about, like, finding floaty orbs! It's yeah, so yeah, good!
0: Or, and it's just, like, and it's not based on anything. Except for, like, a true story or whatever. But it's yeah. not, like, you know, the 17th. Part to you know or whatever. it's also
1: not or it's also not trying to like i mean there's definitely like you know some deep meanings you can find in the last bill of course but there's there's a a, a modesty to it it's not like trying to be an oscar film if that makes sense
0: it's interesting too if that had been his last film it would have been a um bookended really yeah. really perfectly two assholes <laughs> who need to be who need to kill each
1: other <laughs> for sure although now we're getting we could potentially i mean i hope uh, knock on wood i hope nothing's book ended uh, make movies forever idly but yeah. it's like starting with the napoleonic wars ending with the napoleonic wars as
0: well and yeah yeah i mean apparently there are like six major battle scenes uh, in okay. the napoleon movie and he's like man i don't know like i need to, he's got that rich guy um serum
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah Wait, He's... who's that? Is Whistler here? He's <laughs> well, got I the whistler <laughs> <laughs> I made some for uh, the lead singer of Humble Pie the other day
2: <laughs>
0: And
1: guess what? They just announced a 40-day tour
0: Gonna <laughs> <laughs> be playing bass <laughs> Coming to a casino near you <laughs> That's right. I'm the base I'm the bass tech.
1: <laughs> they I mean. need. Got right. three bass players. Right.
0: We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of biography to get get there. Get out of here, Whistler.
1: Yeah, oh, get out of here, Whistler. We'll talk about your. <laughs>
0: I'm sure you'll be back. Yeah. Um, anyway, the so it took them some time though, but it helped them put their get their chops together until 1977 in which Ridley got his first swing at the plate, which turned into, like, you know, 40 swings at the plate after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's made a lot of movies, and we're going to talk about all of them. But his first picture, the historical drama, The Duelists, released in 1977. Um, Directed, of course, by Ridley Scott. Screenplay by Gerald Von Hughes, based on the novella *The Duel* by Joseph Conrad, which I tried to track down but did not have time to read. I, but I was interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film stars is as the titular duelists, Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel. Also starring in the film: Albert Finney, Edward Fox, Christina Raines, Tom Conti. And a host of other British names and faces, and of course, uh, we would uh, be—it would be a, just a disaster if we did not mention the film is narrated by show favorite Stacey Keach. So yes, we are—if uh, we are Keaching, as uh, the kids do.
1: <laughs> everyone's doing it.
0: Everyone's doing it. We're Keeching. It's on TikTok. Um, <laughs> the budgeted at nine hundred thousand dollars, if you can believe it different times.
1: Yeah, um, fucking insane.
0: Uh you know it was not a huge hit at the box office. It um it uh, uh played at the Cannes Film Festival and apparently Paramount it got good reviews really Scott won best new director Ooh. at the uh, Cannes Film Festival but that made the distributor Paramount feel maybe they had an art film on their hands and they did not know how to <laughs> sell it, despite the fact that it's, like, kind of the commercial version of Barry Lyndon. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Uh, Rich stylized visual work for, with effective performances and really Scott's take on Joseph Conrad's Napoleonic story, resulting in an impressive Impressive feature film debut for the director. Uh, the basic storyline here is that Keith Garradine is Armand de Hubert. How do you how do you like that?
2: Not, mm-hmm. bad, Not bad.
0: I'm pretty bad at pronunciation usually, but um, who is a kind of mid-level officer, yeah, of the third Hussars, mm-hmm. and he is charged with locating <laughs> lieutenant. Gabriel Farot. Foreau? Foreau.
1: Um, That's a better uh, better French pronunciation than uh Farrow himself, perhaps. Yeah,
0: perhaps. We'll we will talk about that in a moment.
1: <laughs> um played by Harvey Keitel.
0: No, noted Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's so good in this. I don't,
0: I don't mind. I know. Oh, look. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm very torn by it all. <laughs> if you thought we were torn by Harvey and uh, as Judas Iscariot in Last Temptation of Christ, let's get into it on this one. He's a fervent Bonapartist and an obsessive duelist. We open it up with him, like, just like, and I gasped when he, like, stabbed the guy he was dueling with all the way through. I was like, oh.
1: <laughs> but, Dude was out for blood always and
0: so he it basically is opens with Harvey in this duel he apparently stabs the wrong guy politically uh, Keith is uh, ordered to place him under house arrest which <laughs> Harvey takes it with Keith is um, very polite about it yeah you know I watched the movie twice you know just to get this down Um He's very polite about it. Uh, Harvey takes it as a pure insult. And because Harvey is running at a 9.5 out of 10 on the tension scale at all times in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> he uh, challenges Keith to a duel, which leads to 16 years God. of these two psychos continuing to beat the hell out of each other, but nobody dying. yeah it's a you know ruining ruining family lives politics those in charge of france may change but one thing that remains the same these two guys want to duel and duelists be dueling as they uh as they say (laughs) yes um had you seen this movie before no this was
1: my first time
0: same i'd never seen this movie before either
1: it's it was a delight it was like man this is a good out the gate. like and i think like you know, with the first movie, your expectations are always a little like lower. You're kind of like, okay, this is like the director figuring himself out. It's not going to be fully, you know, formed. It'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, I think you nailed it earlier. Uh, those those that decade in RSA really did the did the trick. Cause holy shit.
0: Yeah, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah, and it's very um it's very economic. It's only a hundred minutes long. You'd be surprised. Uh, We just talked about a 16-year feud, and it's only 100 minutes long. It flies through, um, you know. And it's and Ridley already knew that he knew. Like he mounted this very difficult production on a rather low budget. Got it, classic. Got it in, done on time, economic. He he always had the business of making movies in mind, Mm -hmm. and it's clear from the start. Now. Like you know, I think the it, the one thing that really did throw me was the casting, mm-hmm. the first time I watched it. I, um, now I'm not, you know. It is what it is, but there is a part of me that like, so at the same time, there existed. Gerard Depardieu and Patrick Dewaere, <laughs> right there in right. front, <laughs> the two most <laughs> like animalistic. And crazed young French actors <laughs> uh, who would have, barring their grasp of the English language, could, were built to play these two guys <laughs> at right. that time in their careers. Um, I guess that they went to British actors first, as is mm-hmm. one to do. And apparently the British actors were more expensive than the American actors. And that's why they went to these two. Both guys um, at an early career high, what some would say. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, working a lot. Keith Carradine, of course, was just coming off of um, probably his defining performance in Nashville. Uh, He won an Academy Award for Best Original Song for Nashville. And then Harvey Keitel, of course, since like knee deep in the Scorsese world and that kind of thing. I feel Uh, like. Interestingly enough, they both were in uh, a movie called Welcome to L.A., directed by Alan Rudolph, within oh, a year of this. Uh, decidedly different movie, but I recommend that one. It's a good movie.
1: Yeah, I, I think isn't Alan Rudolph like Robert Altman's like protege? Yes, yes. there we go.
0: And yeah. uh, Keith Carradine's essentially playing like the same guy from Nash, like this near to well singer, talented singer songwriter who sleeps with everyone imaginable. God,
1: yeah, I feel like Keith Carradine and. Uh... He is like the type. There's like this type of 70s guy that only existed in films for like a couple years and then kind yeah. of died out in the mid 80s. And it's like, you know, I think the most popular example of it is probably Mark Hamill, weirdly enough. Like they ha- it's that similar kind of like, it's like this reedy, kind of ruddy haired, a little bit of like, you know, is he a teen? Is he a man?
0: The waspy Midwestern kind of guy?
1: Yeah, waspy gawky. I feel like um, in Ash Wednesday. Uh, the one who went to Vietnam. What is his name again? Uh, that actor, blonde hair. Oh, uh,
0: Big Wednesday.
1: Big, sorry, Ash Wednesday. God, Ash Wednesday, <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, so Big, wins, <laughs> big but, Wednesday. Uh, you know?
0: yeah, well, there's, I mean, all of them, almost all, like William Cat
1: William Cat and, that's the one I think more so. William I think, Cat
0: is the closest, yes. Yeah. He, he fits the same bill. Yeah, and exactly.
1: Ash Wednesday, good Lord.
0: The, um but the greatest one who has survived at all, probably the hall of famer is Jeff Bridges.
1: Yeah. That's the,
0: that he is, is the, probably the like best case, best case career example. Of yeah. This guy,
1: both bridges are this. Yeah. both Br-
0: Yeah. Bo Bridges fits this bill too. Yeah.
1: yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's such a, and he, and yeah, Keith is just, he's an interesting, I just like him as an actor. I wish he, I wish he was in more leading roles. Like I, uh, I mean, he, he
0: has consistently worked. He consistently works to this day. He's surprisingly still only about 70 years old, so he's rather young. He was young. Wow. When they were making these. Uh, about a decade younger than Harvey Keitel.
1: Yeah. And,
0: oh, and, um,
1: well, he's the other type. Yeah. He's like the New Yorkie, like Al Pacino. Yes. He's from that cut
0: mold. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. Uh, clearly right out of that mold. Har- Harvey Ketel had such an interesting career because he was huge. You know, had a Really nice run in the seventies, but yeah. then like in the early nineties, Matt is like massive again. Like they were just talking about it because they're doing this. It's the thirtieth anniversary of Reservoir Dogs, this year, and um, there's Reservoir Dogs, there's Bad Lieutenant, there's the Piano. He got nominated for Bugsy that same time period. Like he's, he's he, he's hitting home runs. You know, he he was, you know, a scary leading man in the early 90s, you know, again. Yeah. um, And he, in this movie, has got a real energy that I dig, especially the second time through, despite, like, the weird wig that they put him in.
1: Oh, I love the, the, the crazy hairstyles of the crazy. Napoleonic era. You,
0: you know, Ridley, gunning for realism, See, he did the same thing in the last duel, too. Gunning for realism without... Apologizing for just how silly and distracting it is. Yes. Despite being real.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. I'm it's sure like... it
0: existed, but these guys look like you see with their weird, <laughs> weird, like braids they have in their hair. It is like distract, especially because it's like Harvey Keitel is not made. You know what, though? His red curly hair in Last Temptation of Christ may have been more distracting.
1: Yeah, that just looked insane. That was yeah, like, yeah. It looked it's...
0: like somebody sold a can of paint on his head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is, That was like truly just a confusing uh, hairstyle. That also, like, it didn't feel like that was like necessarily like, uh, you know, it wasn't like Ridley Scott's like, you know, attention to detail. Like, this is how it would have been back in this era. Mm. Like, you didn't need the, the red hair. But yeah, uh, yeah but you needed the pigtails. But
0: Harvey from the jump it's like, what I love is he's just like, got this one track mind the entire way through. He is a lunatic. Yeah. The entire like, way through. And like, Keith Carradine matches it with exasperation mm-hmm. the entire way through. He's like, yeah. why? What are we doing?
1: Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> he's I'm not gonna like- do it, but I'm gonna do it. But why? <laughs> he's not like a character as much as he is like a yoke over Keith Carradine's neck or like a like just like some force of like, just like a foreboding, a foreboding force that just uh, surrounds Keith at all times. Like you like can't Keith, escape it.
0: Keith is like, I'm gonna start a family. I'm gonna get married. Yeah, guess who's in town? Harvey. This guy who oh, wants no, to kill this you. Guy who really wants to kill you
1: in a legal I mean, way. This... The legal way.
0: Oh, in a very gentlemanly legal way. <laughs> <laughs> um cuz we can't forget to be gentlemen here um and, yeah and it's wild and they oh it it's but it's great all of the duels are in a different style with different weapons
1: oh uh, yeah
0: and um the the basement one that is, like, jump cut, too, where they're just covered in blood, both of them, oh and they're just God. beating the shit out of each other. When,
1: like, they see, uh, Kytel, like, slices the meat off Keith Carradine's arm, and the meat is just, like, dangling off it? Yeah. God damn. And then is... they, do,
0: they do one on horses where Harvey takes a sword to the face, mm. and he's just, like, busted wide open, like he's stone cold Steve Austin at Wrestlemania. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, it's, just, uh, it's, so, all it's over like... the... It's, like, it, they're, they're so violent, and one of the cool things Ridley did is he attached um like electric current mm-hmm. to the swords so the sparks came off the swords oh. on each hit to ma- and the way he shoots it he's always been i mean we're going to talk about it and he's done so many fights and so many battle scenes over his career but they're always so visceral like i'll never forget seeing gladiator for the first time in the theater and that opening battle sequence in mm-hmm. the snow, it's just like he um, there's an energy that he gets out of those fights mm-hmm. like that very few people uh, get to. But yeah, this movie, and so you know, we're not gonna spoil it because I don't think as many people have seen this movie and I think like clearly when you're watching this movie, you're like, who's gonna win the 16 year, you know, there's a big like it it's it really keeps your attention. To see Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in this movie. And you know I think the ending was a bit surprising. To me Mm -hmm. I will say that. I'm not going to say what it is. But it definitely went in a direction I did not expect.
1: Yeah it's yeah. There are yeah. Kind of like corridors this movie goes down. That you don't like. You know there are like. Battlefields that I didn't expect to see. That were just rendered like so Realistically, like, it's so crazy. Like, hearing that this film's budget was $900,000 was truly a shock to me, considering how professional it looks and how well just shot and how, uh, period, like, the, this, this, the, the, um, his, the, uh, attention to detail, uh, makes you think that this is a film that had, like, you know significant funds to play yeah. with
0: i will say this is the second movie this year after the northman that uh my first response after watching it was like man i am glad i don't live in that time period
1: yeah would have sucked yeah yeah I, i'd be i'd be dead i'd be uh, oh, yeah. a, a skeleton I, uh, in russia
0: <laughs> i w- i would get i would be still i would get into a duel on accident I would try, I'd be like,
2: please, please, please let's not do it. Oh, please,
1: I'll suck your dick. <laughs> You'll you
2: do the Gru- I got <laughs> a little dick, it's pathetic.
1: <laughs> We're doing a combination of McGruber and <laughs> True Bill Lies. Bill Paxton and True Lies. Harvey <laughs> Kitell like, really, you're doing Harvey? You're doing Bill Paxton yeah, and True he Lies? Just like,
0: he's just like, I'm just going to put you out of your misery. You're no gentleman. And he stabs me in the head or something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it would be terrible. Uh, but this is a very entertaining, very worthwhile movie to check out. And I think um, a lot of Ridley's pet themes come out of this. Combat, obsessive men, um, questions of macho masculinity, um, honor and code mm-hmm. um, All are all over this movie. And, you know, we were kind of talking about it yesterday and he emerged fully formed Mm -hmm. like you watch this movie it's like oh this is a really scott movie you can tell like from his first choices and all of that comes out of his background making all those commercials just kind of he came in with his craft and his voice complete unlike so many other filmmakers who just don't get those opportunities you know they get thrown into an indie movie or you know they get thrown into like I mean, they make or they make one indie movie, and then it's like, yes, congratulations, you're making Jurassic Seven. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. now
1: going to make Ant Man.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> have fun. Yeah. Good luck
1: in the deep end of the pool.
0: Did you see what Ethan Hawke said? Our friend Ethan Hawke, because uh, he did the Marvel show Moon Knight recently.
1: Oh yeah, I watched some of that. It he was-
0: said, um, "I think he got. I think he is. The Marvel is incredibly actor friendly." but I'm not so sure they are director-friendly. Yet again, our man, Ethan, is astute.
2: <laughs> my, my, home, as a, my home?
0: As astute as they come about the field of cinema and the way things are going. Um, oh, for but sure. yeah, I, I recommend The Duelists.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Duelists is great. Um, I think we're going to have like an issue. It's going to be so hard um, going into it Watching the Duelists, uh, seeing all the movies on the horizon, it's gonna be t- like you know how we do our little rankings of all the top, you know yeah, the top I- film. Like it's gonna be hard. Like this, if this is like the first film he did, and it's this qual- level of quality.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there's something interesting too um, going in. My assumption, I had a very Brooks Brooks kind of assumption where r- you know James L. Brooks made two unimpeachable masterpieces. Yes. In terms of endearment and broadcast news, perfect films. And then, but Albert Brooks made eight great movies.
1: Yeah, they're all banger. Maybe they don't reach like the insane heights of broadcast news, but they're, but they're like bangers. One,
0: it, but basically, like our top tens were like one, two, then all Albert Brooks. Yes. And I my assumption here was always going to be like Alien Blade Runner, all Tony. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that. Yeah. But ah. We'll see. We will see. I don't want to make assumptions. We got a lot of movies to go, uh, but not a not a massive hit. Oh, and Ridley Scott has flat out also said he's a Barry Lyndon fan and was inspired yeah. by Barry Lyndon for this. He does not say like, oh, I made a better duel movie or whatever. You know, he respects and likes Barry Lyndon. You know, as a Kubrick Kubrick mm-hmm. acolyte, basically.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Uh so but Ridley, not again, not a massive success, but. Certainly caught the eye, of a lot of people. He can he had his commercial production company, so he could kind of plot his next move accordingly. Unlike some directors who just need a gig. Yep. Um, his next move, of course, um, 1979's Alien, which we will be talking about next week.
1: Oh, baby! Which, well, uh, uh,
0: well... if Duelist did not put him on the map, Alien certainly put him on the map (laughs) well what's
1: interesting too is apparently um he was going to direct like a um Tristan and His old like something along like kind of like another period piece sort of film and then uh Star Wars became a big thing and he was like I guess I should do that
0: yeah (laughs) because you know it's it's some directors a lot of the ones we've kind of admired I think um more accidentally stumble into commercial sensibilities than kind of have a conflicting interest or cl- conflicting feeling about it. Right. I don't think Ridley's too conflicted.
1: No, 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 no. I think, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. He's he's afflicted. He's the much, opposite. Much, he, like, he's much aff- like he's afflicted.
0: Much like Frank White in um, King of New York. I love money.
1: <laughs> I love money. I
0: love my Ferraris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a uh, cool dude. <laughs> meanwhile, though, a few st- you know, a few steps behind, mm-hmm. but a few years younger, so there's no biggie. No yeah. biggie. No biggie. Yes. Hey, no, no shade. <laughs> no shade there at all. Is Tony Scott, who, like his brother, is uh, is after cinematic success. It took him though. Timelines are a little different here. Took him till 1983 mm-hmm. to make his debut, which of course is the erotic horror film The Hunger. Mm-hmm. And if those three words, erotic horror film, don't get you pumped. I don't know who you're I don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, you you sir uh, are a crazy man. Uh directed of course by Tony Scott, screenplay by Ivan Davis and Michael Thomas based mm-hmm. on The Hunger by Whitney Whitley. Uh Stryber, Whitley Striber. Uh kind of a horror novelist. Um, this film stars Catherine Deneuve, David Ooh. Bowie, Ooh. Susan Sarandon. Arguably this film is unlike the duelists. Arguably this film is perfectly cast.
1: <laughs> yeah, easily the best. Yeah. The <laughs> like three these, people
0: These three people you cannot imagine anyone else playing these roles. Um no 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 co-starring Cliff Young, uh Academy Academy All-Star Dan Hadaya.
1: Oh, he's so good. He gets like two scenes, but it's just you want more. You just it's like and, you'll... Uh,
0: Even bigger Academy Academy All-Star Willem Dafoe makes yeah. a very early appearance in this film. <sighs>
1: Dude, I hooted and when I saw Willem Dafoe and John Pankow live and die yeah. now uh, to Live and Die in LA. Is John Pankow, uh, an you know... early
0: taste of to Live and Die in LA. <laughs>
1: yeah, I uh Live and die in London more like it. Uh yeah. live and
0: die and get off that payphone, lady.
1: Yeah, get off that payphone, <laughs> lady. Oh god, it was so seeing those two made me so happy. I was like, this is this is the spice I want on all my food. This is this is good.
0: Absolutely. Uh released April 29th, eighty three. Mm-hmm. Made ten point two million dollars at the box office. fifty-five mm-hmm. percent uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. What? Um stylish yet hollow the hunger is a well-cast vampire thriller that mistakes erotic moments for a satisfying story of course it has emerged fully as a cult film since those <laughs> initial <laughs> reviews yeah. um, this movie the basic storyline is that miriam blaylock is a um, ancient vampire her current companion john blaylock also a vampire who she met in 18th century
1: france i was wondering if
0: john was hanging with the duelists
1: oh fuck that would have been so sick if like in just like one background scene you see like david bowie playing the violin or some shit yeah (laughs) it's like keith this is keith Carradine is like complaining to tom conti about how much harvey Keitel sucks
0: and david bowie's is back there and we don't we don't already know he's gonna become a 200 year old vampire yeah um (laughs) so upon turning 200 john begins to age rapidly it's not good. <laughs> not good. He's not it's, happy. It's, it's quite bad. Um, he, and Miriam, he refi- he discovers that essentially that she had promised him immortality and eternal life, but it turns out not eternal youth. Oh, no. And she, on the other hand, is um, like unstoppable and agent and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll keep going. Um So he seeks that he sees on television Dr. Sarah Roberts, a researcher scientist who are um, studying basically aging. And he would like to um, have his accelerating decrepitude reversed. Mm. Sarah does not take him completely seriously. But meanwhile, she's having weird dreams about um, Miriam. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, we should know this movie opens. Tony Scott makes his intentions very clear with the band Bauhaus playing their song. Bella Lugosi's dead at a nightclub while John and Miriam seduce another couple in order to um, sexually drain their blood.
1: It may be the best, and that's like, you know, it's so funny, because last week we watched uh, Set It Off, and I was like, this is a banger of an opening. This might be one of my favorite, you know, opening 15 minutes for a movie, and how quickly the title has been given to another film. Like, The Hunger is so, <laughs> like, the, the the first, it's like probably the most banger of 15 minutes for a movie I've seen in decades i don't know like it's crazy it's just it's
0: It's just so stylized and crazed and i think that what critics at the time did say was complete and utter style over substance um this is a question of does style become substance Mm -hmm. and i think it does in this case and i would say that if ridley scott is a mechanic tony scott is a sensualist
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so on the subject of Tony Scott being a sensualist, uh, I want to say, too, so originally, so Tony Scott really wanted to direct a vampire movie. He'd wanted to for like a while. That's like kind of like the thing he noticed that, like there were a, sh- like a shit ton of werewolf movies being made, like yeah. werewolf in London, wolf in, like there's just a bunch of these. And he's like, OK, vampires are due for a, uh, a comeback, too. If werewolves are in town, vampires are here to stay as well and so do you know what movie uh, uh what book he originally wanted to adapt he What's wanted to that? do interview with a vampire oh he wanted to he just couldn't get the rights to it he really wanted to interview do and he like had like meetings with a bunch of like you know different producers and stuff he really wanted to
0: he would have. he would have made a really cool early 80s interview with the vampire it would have fu-
1: yeah it would have slapped.
0: i think what i what i dig too is like i think other people have noticed this too is th- this movie and his next movie is there's this um Pansexual gender fluidity, yeah, running around between this and I would argue Top Gun as well. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We'll talk about that next week, (laughs) but uh, in particular this one. And I mean, one thing I noticed, I couldn't believe I've seen this. I had seen this movie before, Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't believe I had never picked up on the fact that Susan Sarandon looks so much like David Bowie.
1: Oh yeah, that's actually a good call. The hair,
0: yeah, and the way she's dressed. She he dresses her in like suits. And that kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah, so it's like Catherine Deneuve is like searching for a new companion. And she's essentially picking the same one.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and- yeah, so basically, yeah, we spoiled the rest of the story. But basically Catherine Deneuve wants a new companion. Um, she has chosen Susan Sarandon mm-hmm. as this uh, as David Bro- Bowie continues to grow more and more
1: decrepit. Oh my God! He becomes Emperor Palpatine. It rolls. Oh, and the make Dick Smith's makeup is awesome all oh, the look, way through. He looks so crazy. It's, it's crazy. cool. Yeah. It's cool
0: stuff. And, uh, and then Catherine Captain which turns out has a basement where all of her ex
1: lovers are. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just the first like forty five minutes of this movie could have been an incredible short film.
0: Well, you barely know what's going on, too, which is yeah. awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah it rules <laughs> yeah. yeah like and it's so shocking like i i kind of both of these movies i knew nothing about uh so i went in pretty you know uh just un unex- you know whatever i i went in with no pre- previous knowledge basically and that ending or the the the, the i guess the mid film climax of uh, of uh, Catherine Deneuve carrying his old lover into like the coffin dungeon with a bunch of his uh, her other previous—it's just crazy. It is. Yeah,
0: and there's such an economy of this movie too, because the very next scene Catherine Deneuve made Susan Sarandon. Yes. The very next scene, yeah. and as you know, this movie, uh, ninety-seven minutes, take care of business as well. Yeah. In a, in a nice time period, the so basically, yeah, it turns into this. Highly charged game of um, seduction, mm-hmm. basically between nove and Susan Sarandon, culminating in a <laughs> definitely for its time pretty advanced and graphic sex scene. Yeah, and, um, very nuts. Yeah, which which also involves some blood draining and some vampire turning. Um, Susan is not thrilled mm-hmm. with becoming a vampire, and then the movie kind of. The word phantasmagoric comes to mind (laughs) Um, for the final third of this movie, where it just gets weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier. Yeah. Again, we won't spoil it. I will say, though, that apparently the ending was a reshoot uh, because the studio did not like the movie ending um, on a down note. Mm. and they like they thought that there could be possible sequels by ending it with this the way it ends with the final shots um i,
1: I would love the idea of the hunger like becoming another movie like like nightmare on elm street or something where there's just a, like the like the hunger in space i want to see the variations of and this movie
0: there is like a difference because i think the like, studio probably thought they were just getting you know and there's nothing wrong with like the Howling or something no, like that. No! Great movies. Uh, but I think they, or even Halloween. Yeah. But I think they thought they were getting a horror franchise. And what Tony Scott gave them was a 97-minute erotic commercial. Yeah. For it's, a, go, and what he was selling? Good-looking people, <laughs> like, <yeah>. basically. <laughs> it's
1: like, it's moody, erotic pop art. Yeah. And uh, there are... Yeah. Oh, the other another thing, too. Another tidbit about the production as well is that um, originally... Uh, tony scott was not up to direct the hunger it was alan uh parker Mm. uh who was just high hot off of midnight express you know but uh unfortunately he was uh working on the wall or fortunately rather for us he was working on the wall so he suggested ridley scott ridley scott uh i think turned them down but was like hey Look at my little brother. He's a pretty cool brother. Who's
0: pretty rad.
1: I feel like that's like happened a couple times. To- like I think like uh, yeah, that's like an interesting dynamic right there. We're like yeah, Ridley Scott's definitely like giving him the helping hand on one or two. Well, I okay.
0: love their competitive love for each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's very. They're actually quite sweet to each other. It seems yes. like they they genuinely cared about each other and their working relationship. Yeah, helping each other out.
1: Well, well you you know, did, Ridley think...
0: was a good older brother.
1: I think Ridley genuinely saw his talent. Yeah. Yeah. A-
0: yeah. And, uh, but I guess both uh, Tony and Susan Saranda do not like the tacked on ending.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Um, David Bowie was excited about the film, but concerned. He said, I must say, there's nothing that looks like it on the market, but I'm a bit worried that it's just too perversely bloody at some points.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also very like it's so crazy that this is like uh, one of like it's kind of like an interesting performance to have Bowie do in the sense that like he doesn't really he only gets to be like a sex symbol for like the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he's like under some crazy old person makeup. Yeah. What
0: What I love, I was just I was looking back at Bowie's acting career heading into mm-hmm. this episode I just like much like with his music career and his like on like his he was probably the most self-aware rock star of all time he knew what he was selling he knew the persona and when the persona needed to change it was so thought out and so kind of designed in the same way that's like he wasn't like picking movies willy-nilly like he wasn't taking like the fourth soldier and like the dirty dozen or something like that like all of the movies he was in fit within the david bowie universe and vibe that he was putting out all the way up to when he plays tesla in um the prestige oh yeah you know and but i mean going back to men who fell to earth even pontius pilot in um last temptation of christ mm-hmm. but it was like And totally with this one, it's like he's not only playing John Blaylock, he's playing David Bowie. Mm -hmm. And the David Bowie vibes seep into John Blaylock and help elevate John as a character, I think. Because you're like, second he shows up at that club and like cool sunglasses, pale, like seducing people and smoking cigarettes, you're like, oh, cool. Bowie's up to something.
1: Yes. It totally, yeah. It's. You need someone with his gravitas to portray, like, it, it's, like, Jim Jarmusch understood understood the project of vampires with, like, only lovers left alive mm-hmm. in the set. Like, you need, it has to be, like, a rock star or someone with, like, you need that level of, like, magnetism. And
0: his lead vampire is Tilda Swinton. Yes, who has that same quality that Bowie does. Yeah,
1: the weird, <laughs> yeah, the the amorphous, like the 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 gender nonconforming aspect. Because yeah, it like, seems
0: like they, they are from a different planet.
1: Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you just become an alien.
0: Yeah, and they both rule because of that. Yeah, and the, but the only person he could have teamed Bowie with is the beguiling, mysterious, and all-time beauty Catherine Deneuve. Yeah. And they look amazing together. Yes. Then casting, you know, Susan Sarandon, who's like at a peak, beautiful, she's great talent, but also making her incredibly androgynous. The casting, Susan, David, Catherine. Mm. Absolutely excellent. Kind of a three-hander for the most part. This movie, there are a few side people. You gave a a top flaps review to uh, the the Baxter, Tom Haver, played by uh, Cliff DeYoung he's such uh, a science, flaps science and romantic partner to sarah roberts who is no match for captain Deneuve. <laughs>
1: just imagine imagine like if chevy chase wasn't funny that's what cliff DeYoung young is in this movie <laughs> just, an, like, just an, i un- wish
0: <laughs> chevy had this part and played it straight
1: oh uh, if chevy chase was in this movie and got uh eaten alive by <laughs> susan sarandon oh mwah.
0: it's awesome
1: a, yeah That'd be but it,
0: it's a um it's a terrific movie mm-hmm. just talking about um talking about it last night with a friend and he was just like the movie just grows on you it's so cool it's so stylish it feels like nothing else
1: yeah
0: um you know barely confusing to light on plot but doesn't really matter
1: it, this is this is a vibes
0: movie. This yeah, is like, it's
1: 100%. Yeah, it's about, which, you know, what's funny is like, I went into this thinking that The Duelist wasn't a vibes movie as well, but the more I think about it, I feel like The Duelist is also, and the vibe is foreboding. Like, that's also a vibes movie. I think, I think when movies are this short, they kind of have to have a little bit of a vibes movie energy. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's not enough, like, hangout time. So it's kind of like, and then these guys are just, they're just such strong stylists. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, while Ridley's shows off his masterful control and painterly style, but also kind of a um, serious, classy kind of thing, Tony's such a, like, sensual maximalist. Like, he just wants to see, like, beautiful people at clubs and, you know, so much, like, shot through silk slow motion you know and i know tony was told to tone it down on the smoke
1: yeah oh yeah so stephen goldblatt would be like um like it was, i love one of my favorite things is when like a director uh tries to get one on a producer like successfully gets one on a producer yeah or um a sub genre of that sort of story is when a like a cinematographer or a production designer kind of gets one on a uh on a director, and Stephen Goldblatt uh, would constantly, he would like add extra. Like, cause Tony Scott apparently wanted like everything to be super dark and moody, uh, to the point where it's almost like illegible on screen. Mm-hmm. And so Stephen would like add, bring extra lights and turn them on just so like Tony would have something to say. Oh, turn that off. <laughs> like he, he, like he would like predict. He, he like predicted the amount of lights he would need to kind of like satisfy Tony's demands for ambient darkness without giving him that level of darkness Mm -hmm. he perhaps wanted and so uh yeah no it's uh it's interesting i think like what's incredible too is that in spite of the dichotomy these directors represent in spite of like the two different like styles of filmmaking present you can tell that both are just like very savvy and they know how to work with limited resources yeah yeah
0: yeah they're they're just they're professional
1: yeah they're very professional
0: that's probably the big thing and i think that they both understand too it's like there's this very very funny story um about the making of blood simple
2: mm-hmm.
0: that francis mcdormand it was like her first movie and she was reading the script and she already kind of hit it off with her future husband joel Cohn. Mm. um she was reading the script and she saw there was a sex scene in it and she got kind of nervous about it. So she gave him a call and she goes, I'm just, you know, worried about kind of how this is going to go and kind of being exploited because this is a low-budget movie, that kind of thing. He goes, Fran, you have nothing to worry about. We are not selling this movie on sex. It's being sold on violence. <laughs> you know." And both of the Scott brothers understand it's like, at the end of the day, it's like so like animalistic, but it's like this is the easiest way to sell a movie. Mm-hmm. Sex and violence. So Tony could get away. He knew it too. He could get away with any artistic choice he makes in this movie because all anyone was going to be talking about in the reviews was the like centerpiece sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> and Ridley could get away with anything as long as when they got to the duels they were vicious and violent and like exciting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Like it's 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 crass, but it's true, you know.
1: Yeah, they, it's it's kind of like yeah. If you can bring the steak to the table, you can garnish it with whatever you like. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of I think what we hope for for like the IP movies and that kind of thing. It's like okay, it's like a Star Wars movie, but weirdly it feels like Paris, Texas. Yeah, <laughs> of you know, well, what like, you want.
1: The, I think the difference though is like one of those is like a steak at a nice restaurant, and then the other one is like. Like a steak at Applebee's, which, you know, could probably be good. Like I like I like Applebee's as much as the next guy, but
0: Yeah, it's a big yeah. portion.
1: Yeah, it's true. But, <laughs> big portions.
0: But I mean, this is a different time, and this was ushering in mm-hmm. the eighties and the vibes of the eighties and kind of the Reagan capitalism is great. Time period of the eighties, which you know, next week. You know, we're gonna get to both their first two true blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. And um, while Alien is still like has a very like the 70s kind of new Hollywood vibes are still there. I mean, yeah, Fed Cotto and Harry Teen Stanton are in it.
2: <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it's
0: impossible not to have that if those if guys like that are involved. Uh but for Tony, his next film was maybe the most emblematic emblem did i say that right emblemic i'm sorry
1: Eh you're good it's, you're good
0: emblem- uh e- people know, it.
1: People know it. yeah
0: i'm just but um of emblematic, a, emblematic emblematic there, right, there you go. sorry it took of, me 10 minutes to remember emblematic it. film of its entire era mm-hmm. top gun mm-hmm. which is both um could be argued as either subversive or completely empty jingoistic entertainment and top gun was of course produced by simpson and Bruckheimer, who we will talk about next week a lot more were the kind of producers of this entire thing Mm -hmm. you know they are they designed it and they were the guys who hired a lot of the rsa associates uh
1: (sighs) to make these movies that's so crazy that jerry Bruckheimer factory i didn't think about that that is like wild
0: they, I mean, absolutely key figures to the 80s and this kind of, you know, high uh, style. Depending on where you want to argue, I mean, politically, you could probably argue against some of these movies and kind of yeah. their may perhaps emptiness, perhaps celebration of some of the uglier things.
1: Yeah, the, in the world. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, cr- they're crass consumerist vapidity.
0: Yeah, they're <laughs> vapid exercises in style rather than having anything to say. I think that like you know, time has been kind
1: to them though. Yeah, well, well we she's... didn't re- we didn't realize how vapid things could get. <laughs>
0: Or yeah, cra- the crass commercialism could get worse.
1: Yeah, I, we didn't realize they were just—they weren't plumbing the depths. They were—they were at the tip of the iceberg. I know, and all the
0: <laughs> all the the Eberts and the Siskels of the world who are saying that these were vapid, empty movies because they weren't like getting like Fat City anymore. They did not know what was coming.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, I'd love to bring bring back Ebert and Siskel just to like have their ghosts uh, cry in shame.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, it, would, it would be interesting to see how, like, how they would feel about like the 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 Church of Marvel. Yeah, or like
1: S- Sonic the Hedgehog.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Ebert actually would have quite a like essay to write about the whole scorsese controversy oh kind of thing. i think he probably would actually have quite a bit to say about god, that
1: god but i miss uh, ebert's online presence and his weird yeah. essays he uh, was
0: really he was really good at the internet yeah Just, when he was when he was there but he was the guy who said video games weren't art so i have a feeling he's falling in line with scorsese yeah and the argument and he's going to be called an old guy who's out of
1: touch Oh man, it, it's so cool that he thought video games were. I love video games, but that's a good opinion. That that rules.
0: It, it's an it's an interesting one. I think that um, I actually think he was wrong, and I don't play video games at all. Um, but I think it's just different.
1: I think it's just good to have like
0: its, its own thing. Need, I, I I don't like the influence it's had on movies.
1: Yeah, you, you need crab. I think you need crabby people on the edges. I think you need someone to say video games aren't art. So it like gets people to reflect and think about what Hopefully, is our-
0: yeah oh well what well, it seems like it just made people double down
1: on Aww, their opinions
0: instead god. you know
1: yeah that is true it, it did the opposite of what i want yeah. the
0: internet the internet has made everyone feel as if their voice is the top voice
1: <laughs> yeah that is like oh god i was like texting cozy um he shared with me like a review of blade tube from ain't it cool news mm-hmm. that was like i think like just it's like he could i think the review i didn't even read it because like i just fuck, ain't in cold news but like i, I think isn't this the
0: famous one where he was like talking about like how guillermo del toro could get it or something like yeah that? it's like
1: oral sex something about yeah, it's oral crazed. sex crazed it's yeah. a
0: crazed review
1: and like it made me like think like fuck like i i look i when on in slobs versus snob scenarios i'm always team slob i love a good slob
0: oh yeah i mean you gotta be
1: Yeah, but, like, seeing that review made me think, oh, maybe it's a good thing that people that write reviews for, like, newspapers went to school and, like, I don't know. like
0: Obviously, like, film criticism is a job that almost everyone who's even famous for film criticism kind of got because they wanted to work at a newspaper and that job was available. Like, even Ebert wanted to be a regular journalist.
1: Yeah, nobody, yeah.
0: Like, nobody, like, very few people, like, went to school to be a film critic.
1: Yeah. Uh, no one before the year 1987 wanted to be a film critic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, it's, like, there is, like, this big, like, grudging kind of quality to it. But, like, with Ebert, there's a love. Like, it, he never treated it. He never looked down on it. And I think mm-hmm. that he liked going to movies. He loved movies. Yeah. And he was never out to like take something down just because he felt like he should take it down. Oh yeah,
1: didn't feel yeah. he
0: gave everything a shot. Yeah, and like just filtered it through his worldview. Whether or not you were on the same page with his worldview, that's to that doesn't matter. You have to, mm-hmm. you know. But I think, like, yeah, it's like you know. I think that there were knives out for the Jordan Peele movie that came out this past weekend, just because people want to take him down a notch. But it's like,
1: oh yeah, well they, they want to like, they, I haven't so seen we, it yet. I want to, but. I'm uh, actually going to be seeing it uh, soon. I'm no. going to be, yeah. But, uh, but uh, I think everyone like, well, it's like everyone wanted to take down Taika Waititi, which is yeah. like, honestly, like there's a part of that, which is just kind of justified part of it, which is, and I think some people just like, you know, are like sharks in the water when they smell the blood. And yeah. I think they want to recreate that same thing with. I think there's a little bit of that desire, although I haven't seen it as badly. It's
0: not as heavy, but I think that yeah. I think it still exists. And I think, like, I mean, my favorite all-time example was like, this is in the world of sports. Like, so Tiger Woods is like mm. the greatest roller coaster example of this. So, like, he's huge. Everyone is like looking for ways to like poke at like how big he is. They. They eventually do take him down because he takes himself down because he can't keep it in his pants. Yeah, um, but then, then the stories come in. We need him to come back. We want to come back from Tiger. Wouldn't God. it be great? And it's like now that's it. That's all that exists. Even though they kind of destroyed him. Ugh. And like, there's they love to take people down, but you know what they love even more? A damn comeback and it's like why can't we just let things be man he's good he was good at golf he was not good at marriage that seems to be it yeah <laughs> <You
1: know>? yeah <laughs> it's like yeah we don't need to like uh it's yeah it's like we don't need to have some crazy ass like mighty duck style film about tiger woods's triumphant return or whatever I think like it's because
0: yeah. everyone thinks they're living in some sort of narrative now god
1: yeah that's the hmm Yep, we're too movie brained.
0: Yeah, we're oh, yeah, man. movie and TV brain, because that's all that's left of these, these stories. That's why it's like, which sex in the city character are you? I don't know. I'm living my life.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Not of a, Many of
0: them are <laughs> gone. I hope I'm I hope I'm okay at that. <laughs> you can just
1: see you can just do the Homer Simpson I have a wife response. <laughs> and, and I think
0: to kind of turn around though, I think Ridley in particular mm-hmm. is fully aware of being Ridley Scott. Yes, and lets no one stop him, and kind of likes it that he is Ridley Scott. Uh, I mean, I don't think you know we will not be able to properly, and we shouldn't. It's not very respectful, properly psychoanalyze Tony Scott and his eventual end. I don't think that's fair, and I don't think it's a good thing to do. No, but,
1: not our purview.
0: But I do feel that Tony has a humanism
1: mm-hmm. in
0: him that could make him more emotional more you know i think he lived higher too.
1: yeah well and he like was like kind of like a crazy like not crazy crazy is a hundred percent the wrong term but he like he really lived life to the fullest like what i've read in a uh, filmmaker on fire by larry taylor uh, which is a, actually a surprisingly good read yeah for, i got uh, it yeah. too it's cool yeah yeah, it's like a good, and it's short, too. It's, like, beautifully, it's, mm-hmm. it's an easy one to read along with, folks. Uh, like, he seems to be a guy who, like, you know, he would climb mountains and, like, you know. Um I think
0: that's what makes his end so mysterious and sad and haunts yeah. a lot of people. Because there was this, like, man, this guy lived voraciously. Kind of, like, he brought, he, like, bring it on. Yeah! And food, cigars. Fast cars, the ladies.
1: You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the the big four. Yeah, the foods, big four. All cars, the, the big four. Cars, things, fast cars, ladies. Know? Yes, food, yes. cigars, fast cars, and ladies. The big Four. It sounds like a ZZ Top album. <laughs> <or something. laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ! It is. He he lived life like a ZZ Top album. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, when I he wasn't hearing it of, on the X, he was looking for Tish. And I think that like it comes down as movies. Like this is
0: like vibrant embrace of all oh, that is like fast and exciting and i think bridley scott lives his life in a very like this is how we're gonna do it we're gonna get it right yeah and then i'm gonna move on to the next fucking thing and don't stop me
1: <laughs> 100 you know? he's so perfect yeah he seems like his life is professional like he's very just like we're getting this done he's no nonsense he's a yeah. no-nonsense guy
0: yeah he, yeah he's that's yeah. The, and, And last thing I did want to mention here in in our first episode, um, if anyone out there like makes clothes and that kind of thing, I looked it up. I would like a facsimile copy of Tony Scott's Red Hat. Oh, and I don't know why an intrepid film fan who also makes clothes has not made this happen. This hat is cool. We got to get... Oh. I need to get my hands on one of these hats.
1: Oh, I'm looking at the hat right now. It's such a good
0: hat. It, anytime you... If you look up... If you Google image Tony Scott, like, if it's not the first, it's going to be the second. He's wearing that hat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a good... Oh, man. I just found another... When I type in Tony Scott hat on Google, there's another hat. And it's a, it's like a dark blue hat. And it just says revenge in yellow font.
0: Oh, and um, also... Tony Scott's on-set style is absolutely king shit. Oh, like, he, he's a does, cool. Does he wear like fisherman's vests, like the guy from Blues Traveler, but with no shirt underneath? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like is,
1: is he is, is, is he the lead oh is he
0: sing- throwing some short shorts on there too? Yeah, he's doing all of it.
1: <laughs> God, is he like is he uh is he a director or the lead singer of Hootie and the Blue Bluefish? It's yeah. hard to tell.
0: There are so many cool photos of him and Tom Cruise with shit-eating grins on their faces too. It's awesome.
1: Oh god, I'm looking at this another hat of his where it's red hat, but it's like the ja- Jap- Japanese Rising Sun mm-hmm. flag. Oh fuck, it's yeah. This guy's a hat uh, legend.
0: Yeah, so we got to get some. Let's somebody out there. If we got a listener who's uh, <laughs> who who is anywhere tangentially involved in this kind of thing, I think we could make some money off of this but you got first sales for me I want him one of those hats I, I will wear it proudly in tribute to T T S Tony Scott
1: Oh yeah for sure oh I'm gonna send you a picture Todd of this I just found a good Tony Scott I'm gonna text it to you
0: and we'll put some of these up on our um, on our Twitter f- feed God would you yeah, mean, we yeah. need to sh- we need to share as many of these as possible because this is this is a man who is just he so rules. so yeah so cool.
1: I love him. It's such a good victory. He rolls. I love this I know. guy. I
0: love him so much already. Uh, <laughs> next week, this is the introduction. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we dive in hard on Alien and Top Gun, two massive blockbusters, two films, Top Gun certainly, that have been podcasted about many, many times. Yeah. Uh, but maybe we can find a new angle on them as we dig deeper into the careers of the brothers scott oh man i'm excited fun time so happy and uh we will see you all next week goodbye